You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Check out Dogs Are Treat at dogsartreat.com. And if you go to their website at checkout and enter the code HXP20% off, you will get 20% off of your entire order on all of their branded products. Leashes, tie-outs, medical kits, paws are protected. Build your pack from the ground up and support a fellow houndsman that supports your lifestyle. Enter the code HXP20% off at checkout. Go to their website today at dogsartreed.com. This is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there! Yeah! 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 Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many days how many days a week do you spend out As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. In this episode of the Houndsman XP podcast, we are going to uh, have a little chat with Brian Lynn. As we, we talked about uh, in previous episodes, we're using the pre-roll now for uh, legislative updates. And I have Brian Lynn from the uh, Sportsman's Alliance with us. And there's some hot button issues. We've been seeing them flying around on social media and we've been sharing and we've been supporting these states in previous episodes, but uh, we're going to get an update on these hot button issues, what houndsmen need to be hearing about and what you need to know. So Brian, welcome. I appreciate you taking time to uh, update our listeners. Thanks, Chris. Happy to be here. Always glad to be here. Yeah, we always appreciate having you and you taking time and and uh, representing the representation you give Sportsman's Nation on social media and keeping us all informed. It's huge, huge. So, well, thank you. Yeah, it's it's uh, pretty big and causing quite a stir this legislative session. So it seems like things have been hot. 
I mean, it's just the last three weeks, things have heated up. It's getting hot. Um, and it's time for us to be paying attention. So, and taking action. That's the main thing is take some action. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, you know, the new session started and then all the bills kind of started moving and getting heard. And it, uh, yeah, it's, things are moving fast and furious and what we put on the website, not on social is just a fraction. I mean, these guys in the government affairs team are monitoring and weighing in on like a thousand bills, literally like 800 to a thousand bills or something like that they're tracking. And so we're just pumping out what we can and working behind the scenes and making calls and letters and on everything else that we can too. So yeah, it's fast and furious and will be for the next month or two. Well, you know, before we get into uh, the action that needs to be taken, I think it, I think it'd be a good opportunity to talk about the action that was taken on uh, the elimination of bear hunting in California. That was a huge issue, and it was a victory. And um, tell us how that went down with uh, Representative Weiner and and that whole whole met- debacle. Yeah. Yeah, that, uh, that was crazy. And, you know, it was one of those big positives, you know, a feather in our cap that uh, Absolutely. the outdoor industry, you know, in California, when you see something come up, it's that it was the, good chances to uh, pass. <laughs> that was the you coolest know, thing. And it, it, I mean, you talk about putting wind in the sails. If we can win in California, we can win yeah. anywhere. Yeah, and if we can respond like that to all these threats and the big threats, you know, I mean, there's a lot of them out there. So getting that kind of momentum all at once is tough. But uh, what happened was uh, Senator Weiner there, he's from San Francisco. He's never done wildlife issues before. He's stuck to most of the stuff that, you know, impacts his constituents. And, you know, from AIDS medications to selling alcohol at bars at 4 a.m., to you know of course gun control being from san francisco sure but uh all of a sudden he introduced a total ban on bear hunting and you know he's just acting as a puppet for hsus and uh you know it he cited that you know the bear populations are fragile climate change the uh you know (laughs) forest fires that everything's happened you know all these this justification for it and I mean, the backlash was swift and came from across the board, you know, voices from around the country, from California, from all the organizations pointing out bear populations have quadrupled in the state since the 80s. They haven't met their quota. That's what I was getting ready to say. They took hounding away. Yeah, they took hounding away, haven't met the quota. They're making about 50% of the quota. Fish and Game actually wanted to raise the quota, but of course that's not going to happen in California. So he was getting shot down just left and right, bad ink, petition, you know. And so he, you know, within a week, tucked his tail and pulled that bill, you know. That's awesome. Could come back, but you never know. But it was a pretty decisive turn of events that was very welcome to see. And pretty awesome to see the industry come together and, and do that wish they would have done it sooner for hound hunting but <laughs> well maybe <laughs> less we lesson learned you know lesson yeah. learned harvest objectives aren't fish and wildlife out there could set the harvest objectives at a billion bears and if they're not meeting it now they're not going to meet it in the future so um you yep. know it seems like a no-brainer but I, so let's talk about some of these other issues and 
where we're at on them. Give us an update on on a few of these, and maybe we've learned something with the California bill, and we can ignite some action on some of these things too. And uh, we outlined a few bills that we want to talk about or proposals. The first one is the dog breeding bill in Texas. That that is really gained some traction the last week and awareness is going up. So fill us in on that and give us an update where that's at, Brian. Yeah, it's uh, Senate Bill 323 sponsored by Senator uh, Royce West. Uh, it removes, it, it makes the threshold so low, you know, and it removes language to, that defines quote unquote commercial breeders. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was said it's, 11, 11, 11 intact dogs. females. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Intact females. And you had to transfer like 20 pups, right. You know, or other dogs, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's anybody who transfers and that's where things get real tricky too. And I'll explain that in a second. So it eliminates that language. And so anybody who has intact females and transfers one puppy is a commercial breeder now. And right. Transfer doesn't mean selling puppies. That could be you have a stud dog and you give the pick of the litter. Mm-hmm. And so now you're a commercial breeder subject to uh, inspections, commercial licensing, other licensing, other restrictions, and that type of thing. So that's not good. Not good at all. I mean, the threshold is super low. So we've been fighting that, and that seems to have stalled in, in the committee there. So we're hoping that it's not going to go anywhere. That's what it's Great. looking like right now. So that that's good. So we, that's one we're watching, but we're hopeful about. So is there any action that our listeners need to be taking? Do they need to be contacting their representatives right now and saying, make sure that dies in committee? That's, I mean, that's always a good thing. You yeah. know, any of these bills that are out at any point in time is good to weigh in on. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you have contacts or even if you just send a quick email, you know, make a noise about it, you right. know, when it does reach that representative or senator, he already knows that people are calling about it and, and complaining and he's less likely to be supportive or he's going to ask questions. So it's uh, always good to reach out and do that and make sure these things die quickly. You know, this is such a typical strategy by the animal rights crowd. They, A state like Texas that is... Uh, pro hunting, the hunting industry is huge there. They know that they're not going to get any traction on hunting issues or very limited traction, but they can appeal to the heartstrings of the unaware out there to support bills like this. We don't have to. We don't have to eliminate hunting. We can hound hunting. We can just eliminate the ability for people to keep or breed the hounds used for hunting, and it's just such a typical strategy. I've seen yeah and, and it's a it's a back door it's like well yes. they're saying well we're not ma- we're not making it illegal but right. what they're doing is making it so expensive it becomes prohibitive either you can't afford to breed <laughs> quality dogs or the people at the on the receiving end buying them can't afford to buy them which is ironic because then it just pushes people towards unethical breeders that are producing bad puppies and acting in bad in you know uncontrolled manners so yeah. it's actually you know uh, ironic way that is actually going to increase the problem okay yeah so texas bill we have the go ahead i was just going to say we have we have the same you know the same issue as across the border in oklahoma 
with a tethering bill. You know, it pulls on the heartstrings, and yeah, I don't see a dog on a chain for you know 24 hours a day, seven days a week for its entire life. But bird dog guys and hound guys and stuff right. they use stakeout chains, and you know field trailers and hunters put them out on stakeout chains. You know, on several dogs at a time, that becomes illegal. Right. You know, so that's one of those ones that gets misrepresented as being aimed at abuse. You know, that uh, would impact hunters. Sure. Sure. What about have you? Do you know anything about the California bill? That's a that's a dog breeding bill. Have you? Are you guys tracking that one at all? Or I'm sure the, the I kind of blindsided you with that. Are. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I didn't mean to do that. Of it. <laughs> that's all right. Uh, I can ask the government affairs guys about it. I'm sure they're probably tracking it. Um, I'll send you some stuff. I haven't on it. seen of it on my side of. Okay. Uh, of the equation as things roll out there's like i said they're tracking eight nine hundred thousand bills right now yeah, yeah i see basically with all the public sees <laughs> okay well i did i my intent is never to ambush you when you're on the podcast Brian. no worries no worries <laughs> there's so much out there that uh, nobody can keep up with all of it i mean it's tough and that's it, that's actually a great point though is that I mean, it's hard to keep up with all of it. So when our listeners or your listeners call up or send us an email or something like, hey, are you watching this? Sometimes we miss something or sometimes it's happening at the commission level and we don't get it. You know, that's yeah. not what our software is aimed at. And so it's like, oh, shoot. OK, great. Thank you. You know, we'll weigh in. That just happened with something I can't remember off the top of my head. But will, uh, we just had that exact thing happen. And that's how I'm aware of it is one of our listeners uh, made me aware of it when I was uh, passing on the information. I think it was one of your news releases about the Texas bill. And they said, Hey, the same thing's going on in California. Look at this. So I'll send that to you and, yeah. uh, you guys can, you guys can put it on the radar there. Um, yeah. let's talk about Montana. Let's talk about where Montana's at. And I think all eyes right now in the, uh, the hound hunting world are on Montana, especially with bear hunters, because this is going to be historic. If, this passes. It seems like it's got a lot of traction. And I'm talking about House Bill 468, which is going to allow a spring bear hunting season with using hounds and then a summertime uh, training season for houndsmen in the state of Montana. And Montana has traditionally been off limits to houndsmen when it comes to bear. So where are we at on yeah. that one? Yeah, well, things are looking good. Like, like you said, there's a lot of traction with it, and it would be historic. Uh, it's passed out of the House now, and it passed out uh, in a vote of 60 to 38. Yes. And now it's sitting in the in the Senate Fish and Game Commission, and there's a meeting coming up on the 23rd uh, to hear it in, in the Senate committee. So, you know, anybody in Montana that's wanting that, uh, you know, Call them up and let them know that this would be a good thing. Yes, yes, and and I think um, there's several places. Several, if there's a Montana hunting group, they're talking about this on social media. So you can start there by looking at where it's at. There's several uh, releases or posts about this bill, and uh, Terry Zink is listing the representatives who are on the uh, Fish and Wildlife Committee in the Senate. So there's an opportunity there for houndsmen to voice their opinions in support of this bill. Definitely. That'd be great. So, 
All right, you mentioned commission a minute ago, and uh, the thing that I want to move on to is the petition in Nevada to eliminate the use of hounds for hunting black bear. And we have Becky Dwyer on with the uh, Nevada Sporting Dog Alliance. She was on here a few weeks ago, and we we went through the nuts and bolts of this thing. We outlined uh, the the. the where this was coming from, the petition, how it was filed, where are we at with that one right now? And well, there's a uh, there's the commission meeting coming up here in a in a little bit, a um, couple days. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, you know it's citizens' petition. So you know I've seen some stuff on social media saying, "Oh, where are these legislators coming from?" Not that there aren't bills everywhere being introduced, but this isn't really anything have to do with the legislator. This is a citizen putting this together as you guys probably went through and presenting it and they've got their obligation to hear it. Um, but, uh, you know, we're hoping that it's just going to die right there. I yeah. mean, it's a, yeah. Nevada is a pretty friendly state and has a pretty good commission that's friendly for hunters. Mm-hmm. You know, as most, a lot of commissions are made up of hunters and those who understand this stuff it's friendly. So we're hoping it just dies right there. But this brings up another point. <laughs> as most of these, as so many of our game commissions are made up of hunters and ranchers and people who understand the land and how all this works, the popular tactic we've seen, we've seen it in Connecticut and other places, is to change the requirements for being on the fish and game commissions and allowing, making it easier for the animal rights movement to stack it with anti hunters and people who don't understand hunting, the North American model, ranching, and these conflicts and how to deal with it. And there's actually already a bill pre-filed in Nevada to try to do exactly that. It won't be heard till next year because they're on an every other year cycle, but there's already one out there to do this. So that will be the next, next phase when Nevada legislation fires up is we'll see that next year. And, and I think that's where hound, or, uh, hound hunters are at a deficit, Brian. You know, we know, le- we know legislative stuff from what we see on the news, but the inside track on un- understanding how fish and wildlife rules or, or regulations are made are, are lost, a lot of times lost. Um, these commissions are made up of citizens who are appointed, usually a government governor appointed position. And then when the, one of these petitions is filed, then it is, it can be pi- filed by anybody. And if it's got, if it's got as little as I've seen them as little as 50, 25 to 50 signatures on a petition. If the group is well organized and has a few connections, they can get that, that rule proposal in front of the committee to be heard doesn't take a whole lot. It just takes some good organization by some people to, to start hearing this stuff and, and it can have dramatic effects on the overall population. Oh yeah. You know, and and the animal rights movement said exactly that Wayne Pacelli, the former head of humane society, United States and fund for animals said in the 90s we're going to use the democratic process Mm -hmm. to stop hunting we're starting california going state by state he said the democratic process 
the ballot initiatives, the rules changes, because these can be done by that, by popular vote. And the votes are in the cities. And the city people, by and large, don't understand wildlife management and hunting. Right. So we're at a deficit. So they, by popular opinion, basically, without any evidence or proof or science, can pass rules changes at the committee and commission levels and can pass legislation and can pass ballot initiatives. Mm-hmm. And it's perfectly legal. Yeah, rule proposals are so easy to pass. And and take this Nevada proposal, for instance. I mean, the way this is going to pass is if houndsmen sit back and do nothing. If you sit back and do nothing, you don't make your voice heard. You don't make uh, you don't weigh in on public opinion. Uh, contact the contact the the commission through the right channels. Because I promise you that the Nancy around Lake Tahoe that that filed this whole thing, she's been gaming the whole time. I mean, that's what her full-time job is. She doesn't have – she's not working. She's just working for this. And I've seen it on Bobcat Bills. I've seen it on all kinds of stuff. And, and the reason we end up losing is because the sportsman fails to act. They just fail to engage and in, in act so – it gets passed because the process is what is the public opinion? If 50 people weigh in and 45 of them are anti, the commission has no place to go but to say, we have to pass this. Yeah. And, and what happens is, you know, kind of the trajectory we see is they try at the committee level or the commission level to pass this by using that political pressure mm-hmm. and, you know, try to, try to, that's a really low barrier yes. to enter at. So if you can get a change there, great. If you don't, then they take it to the legislature and say, Hey, we've tried doing this. We've tried doing this. We had a petition that we put out yep. there with a thousand people's names or whatever, and they're not listening to the will of the people and not representing all the people and all the, and the animals, according to the North American model belong to the people and the people, all the people, should right. have a say in this is their right. logic and so then they convince a legislator from a city to then sponsor the bill and start pushing it then it gets tr- traction in the media and those quotes get thrown in there and it seems reasonable it's not but seems reasonable to people that aren't educated on it and then now here we are in a fight for a legislative change yeah and, and, and i and think it's after a- that they go to the ballot initiative there you go <laughs> And I think it's it's imperative that people understand that, that a lot of these fish and wildlife rules are made by fish and wildlife commissions, which is different than the legislative process. So they try to get it, they try to move it through the commission. And maybe the commission goes ahead and overrules the public opinion and says, no, we're not passing this. And then they find a legislator and the legislator questions the people on the commission and said, what was public opinion like? Oh, it was overwhelmingly in for it was in favor of banning this. Why didn't you ban it? Well, because we don't think it's best for the resource. And then they run with the bill over here on on it's the will of the people. You know, most people want this to happen as as has been uh, exposed in the the Fish and Wildlife Commission public opinion. So how the my message is get involved, make your voice heard. You. you it's it's imperative that we do that. Absolutely. 
Where are we at? We've got a trapping bill out there, and I'm going to give a shout-out to Lauren Branny, one of my team members uh, and one of my co-hosts. Lauren has been tracking this public land trapping bill in New Mexico. Yeah, this is uh, this is pretty big, you know, and, and we're fighting it. We've been fighting it. This is one of the big fights we're in, uh, and it's not going real well, I'll be honest. Uh, they basically just don't seem to want to even have a discussion at the committee levels with anybody like it's we've never seen anything like this the it's a travesty of justice actually you know the the political process is just being is they're making a a mockery of it a sham it's one hour you know they're given public notice one hour to register to testify Hmm. at the committee hearings uh, the guy who sponsored the bill walked in, introduced it in the committee, and then when somebody started asking a question, he just deferred it to the representative from the Animal Protection League, and she gets to answer the question with no science, just according to her opinion and their science or anecdotal evidence, and nobody gets a chance to rebut it. We don't get a chance to answer questions or ask questions. And I mean, we've had to stay on this, like I said, one hour to to answer, to register, to be able to talk through these things. Com- the committee members are, well, they, you know, they'll express some doubts or whatever, and then they'll vote for it or abstain, or not even care. I mean, it's just never seen anything like it. It's crazy. I mean, we were even on uh, New Mexico News Channel, uh, KQRE, talking about, you know, this this transparency of government and Mm -hmm. fair shake and, you know, the democratic process is just being upended and it's just crazy. So we're fighting and hoping we can stop it, but it's not looking good. Why is that important? I want you to talk about why this is important to all sportsmen and particularly houndsmen. You've got some thoughts on that, I think. Yeah. Trapping has always been the lowest hanging fruit. I mean, these guys, they're the first ones. They're on the front lines, and they take heat every single session. Every single session in every state, there's usually something, you know, to limit them, change them, regulate them out of existence, or ban it outright. And, you know, we're just – it's at the genesis of the Sportsman's Alliance. You know, that's what got us started in the 1970s. And we've been fighting it ever since, mm-hmm. you know, and the science doesn't matter to them. It's the image and the perception of the pain and everything else to the animals. These guys are at the foundation of wildlife management, mm-hmm. you know, and with saving the taxpayer billions of dollars, literally. Yes. Yeah, but, uh, you know, as trapping goes, and those resources from the other side, the animal rights movement, they now have more resources when they win a battle and take trapping away someplace. They can just shift those resources over and start going after houndsmen, which are the next ones. That ought to wake some people up. That ought yeah, to wake. I hope so. Yeah, I mean, um, and and it's important that that we support our, all ethical pursuit of wildlife trapping you said it saves saves billions of dollars to the taxpayer and and 
maybe what needs to be explained a little bit is not to our audience because I think we're pretty aware, but you take trapping off the, you got to pay somebody to go in and do that control work, that animal nuisance, animal control work. Raccoons are destructive. Uh, you know, nutria are destructive. Beaver. Beaver, you know, everything. Louisiana's paying, what are they paying? They're paying a bounty on nutrias right now because they're destroying the marsh, the natural marshland, and they're paying a bounty on those because nobody's trapping. So it's coming yeah. out of, that money comes from somewhere. It's the same with California. They're doing the same thing. Yep. Uh so yeah, I mean beavers. I, I can't remember. I read a report and uh, have wrote written on it before that uh, you know beavers just stopping beavers and controlling, removing dams and stuff, and the damage that's going to come to bridge, bridge pilings and and other infrastructure is hundreds of millions of dollars if there aren't trappers out there, uh, Crazy. coyotes, and on um, with ranchers. Mm-hmm. coyotes are the number one predator of cattle and so and calves and so it's like that it adds to the bottom line of the cost of beef going forward if but that's removed you know because wow. your losses go up you have to make that margin mm-hmm. back up you know, the price of beef goes up which all in the end serves their purpose you know is they don't want animals eaten or used for entertainment or clothing or anything else. It's all eaten broccoli. We're going to eat synthetic beef. I'm I'm switching over to synthetic beef. What do you think? (laughs) Well, that's what they want you to do. (laughs) (laughs) Gee whiz. I'll tell you what, I got some meat in the oven right now. So, uh, yeah, I think I'll stick with the real thing for a while. Well, Brian, have For we sure. missed anything? Any other hot button topics that we need to uh, include in this this uh, kind of a whirlwind update on legislative issues before we roll those into those? Those are the episode? big ones. Okay, those are the really big ones. Um, other than that, the the really big thing is our lawsuit in Alaska. You know, uh, the Biden administration has put a hold on. Uh, on the reversal of the rules that we've been fighting for a couple of years since the Obama administration mm-hmm. got tr- changed under the Trump administration, Obama or uh, Biden put a hold on that. So they're looking at that. We were just granted intervener status because humane society and other groups are suing to change it back. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're jumping into that fray again. So that'll be six years, I think of fighting that deal and that, all boils down to states' rights and natives' communities. It doesn't have a whole lot to do with us recreational hunters. But if they can federalize wildlife management in Alaska on public land, they can do it anywhere in the, in the country, and that should scare everybody. Right. Absolutely. Well, before we uh, move on here, Brian, tell our audience how they can notify you of legislative issues and um, – get involved with the sportsman's alliance definitely go to sportsmensalliance.org m-e-n-s sportsmensalliance.org you can see all of the latest updates and alerts right there uh you can sign up for our weekly newsletter and for your state newsletter that uh will pop up if we send something out about your state if you have a tip or something you want to send us send it to info I-N-F-O at sportsmensalliance.org. 
follow us on Facebooks and uh, Instagram and Twitter. Nice. And you can buy a individual membership for the Sportsman's Alliance, just so you know. You can actually be an individual. Yeah, so that would be very helpful. And if you're a member of a state hound organization, especially those states that we are fighting in right now, you need to be contact the Sportsman's Alliance and get your organization signed up as a sponsor club for them. So um, thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. And um, if you don't have anything else, hey, we are going to move on into this podcast. We've got a great chat with Seth and Lauren, members of the Houndsman XP podcast team. And um, we're going to talk about what Lauren's been up to. She's been living on the road in an 11-foot camper with four coon hounds and just hunting her butt off and working and doing all kinds of stuff. So it's time to dump the box. And like Learn how to maneuver in that type of uh, topography and get out of little... <laughs> places that they got themselves into rock wise um and then how did the dogs down. how did the dogs react did they did they hunt the same or did they you know just based on what Pi- you what you've yeah, seen I out think, of wisconsin i think piper pretty much hunted the same she she reacted and she tried like just as hard and i didn't notice like anything terrible granted she's never chased cats before in her life mm-hmm. so she didn't know like what to look for or that this was like okay this is what she wants me to follow she did trail a bear we believe one day up the mountain and we had to call him off because uh she got they got to the top of the mountain and then uh it started to go they started to go down and that that bottom of that mountain was a road um so as as far as like hunting out in the mountains um it reminded me just like a you know of bear hunting but it's just so much more open you can walk everywhere and you can see Huh. further and the, yeah. which is totally different from down here in Las Cruces or stuff. Um, yeah, I think like there's, there's the way that they hunt, like their style of hunting, they don't necessarily change that. But um, I think what they have to deal with, I don't know. I just didn't see them giving up or like changing being like, what the heck? No, I did good. Any, I in either situation. How was it uh, for you being out in the woods compared to being in Wisconsin? Well, number one, you find out how out of shape you are right away <laughs> in the mountains. Um, and just traversing inclines. I'm like, I should have brought my trekking poles. I should have brought this. You're going to be a beast when you get home, though, because you've been <laughs> at 5,000 and 8,000 feet this whole time, two months. And you're yeah. going to go home and just be like a yeah. beast. In and the my woods. dogs are going to be beasts. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. Are you uh, at 5,000 feet, Seth? Is that uh, where Los Cruces is? Los Cruces is 4,000, sorry. Yeah, 4,000. Still. So, and then, yeah, 4,000. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, mm-hmm. yeah. So her dogs, especially, are going to be monstrous when she goes back to sea level. They're going to be able to yeah, run across so I spent this Wisconsin. Like a, a, <laughs> a week at 8,000 feet, and then I dropped down to like 7,000 feet for another week. Mm hmm. Um, what was it like at 8,000 feet, honestly? Because you went there in like a two-day span. Was it just horrible that first time you were there? I just had a headache. Hmm. Um, and it just, I just, just a little fuzzy. Um, the weather was beautiful and mm-hmm. I wasn't like exerting myself too much because I, you know, decided it was a great idea to still keep my job and 
work every day, which is annoying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that does suck. That does suck. It, it, it honestly kind of ruined the trip. <laughs> I'm like trying to figure out how I can take a leave of absence. A sabbatical. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but then, so the mountain stuff and all that, and then we come down and I, I park at on Cess property and we go down to the ditches. Well, we went to the Rio Grande first. Actually, we went to we went to the Caballo Lake Reservoir first, oh, which sucked. Right. Yeah. So, like, I mean, without me being too bold, I'm going to explain what happened the first time we went coon hunting. I was I grew up in a place called Truth or Consequences, and there's like a riparian woodland that's nearby that's about forty five thousand acres of BLM and like public land. And so I was like, well, that seems like that should be enough land to hunt. It blew my mind when Lauren said she hunts in like 15 acre sections of woods and stuff at home. I or was like, smaller, yeah. what? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so I had like a 40,000 acre section of public land. I was like, it's like, like riparian woodland. And I was like, let's go check it out. I remember from my childhood when we were kids, we used to just go down there and mess around and just shoot at stuff and just, you know, be dumb, run away from game wardens and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and Good so, for uh, you. That's what I'm doing now. <laughs> so, uh, we like went down there and hunted it and the dogs like struck one set of tracks along the Rio Grande and they worked it for a little bit, but then and it they was crossed the river. Yeah. But it was 22 degrees at night cold. and Piper and Ridge swam across and Cedar too, like swam across the river like five times. Like, so they, they got sw- into their, they swam to Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> we're not that close to Mexico. Yeah. We, we're so the about, Rio Grande you know, is not Rio Grande is not the border there where you're it's at. Not the full border. No, no. Yeah, the Rio Grande doesn't become the border of New Mexico and Texas. Uh, New Mex- it does not become the border of Mexico anywhere in New Mexico. Okay. Only until you get to Texas. And so, gotcha. um, yeah, so then, like, basically, I didn't know this. Um, those woods are, are, like, essentially sterile. And it has changed a lot in the last 10 years since I've been there last. And so it's it's had a lot of, like, salt cedar remediation done and Russian olive remediation done. And so a lot of it are like these just barren, like scraped out plains. And then the understory has been like almost completely grazed down to the dirt by like poor grazing practices. And so it was just like a sterile wasteland of like Siberian elms and um, like stump, stumps of salt cedars and things. So cat claw and mesquite. Yeah, cat claw and mesquite. And, and these like Pokey other like things. horrible pioneer species that like return back to like basically like desolate areas and the only animals were javelina and coyotes yeah yeah which we encountered we did not encounter on that that they jumped up they ran up on that boar heavy and heard it we heard it shriek at him remember right there by in that field of siberian elms at the very end of the night oh okay yeah yeah but luckily they just booked it from it they just ran away (laughs) which is exactly what you want them to do so that was seth didn't know what what good coon hunting you know territory is so like lesson learned on that trip yeah that was does he now does he now? Uh, <laughs> no. no. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I just thought that like any riparian woodland would have coons in it, and like, I mean, I'm sure there was a few straggler raccoons around there, but I mean, they're just so few and far between because that habitat was so poor, and it was really cold for yeah, that time of year too. Super cold, yeah. So at twenty twenty six degrees, that's like unseasonably cold for January in New Mexico, like in, in this part of the state. Um, usually the nights are only down in like the upper thirties, mid thirties at night. It was pretty cool to see the dogs swim that river though. And then, you know, we kept hunting a little bit after and then I threw them up on the dog box and the light was on them and they're just steaming. Yeah, that was rad. Yeah. And you could put your hand in the dog box and it, you know, was warm in there and I'm like, they'll be fine. Like they're fine. And they were, yeah, they're tough, man. They are tough. My dogs would have died for sure of hypothermia. Like 
but it was cool. That, that, I mean, it wasn't cool. I had my bow. I, my dream is still to shoot a coon with my longbow. I bought some Luminox and everything, but I guess I'll have to do that in Wisconsin because mm-hmm. there's no trees here. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But so anyway, yeah. So then Go we ahead. moved on. Uh, we talked to Brett Vaughn and we, uh, made a connection. He's like, well, why don't you just go hunt down at the Lack Farm? And Seth is like, man, I've been wanting to, you know, hunt there for a long time. I've scoped that area and blah, blah, blah. Not for coon, for deer, mule deer. Um, so we went down there and we thought hunting the Rio Grande was a great idea. <laughs> yeah. I knew it was going to be a scraggly. I, I, I knew what to expect opposition wise to our fun Mm -hmm. i did not know anything about what the coon hunting was going to be like but i knew what was going to make our trip not so fun yeah i.e all the aggressive venomous pointy or combination of all three things that live at the river yeah and so so we're walking along the river which is only like max two to three feet deep in places it's all it's an all sand river um so you're just walking the river like going through uh sandbars and then into the water and just cut the dogs loose and hope for something and uh, they probably they ran two separate tracks on either side of that draw mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the first track that they ran piper was opening up and then eventually cedar and ridge opened up towards the end but then they got to the road and across the road is the desert so <laughs> mm-hmm. who knows what they were after mm-hmm. but we stopped them yeah it ran up into the desert canyon lands to, to like all the listeners the, the Rio Grande, in the winter, we joke and call it the Rio Sand because it's pretty much just a ditch. But um, it's surrounded by these like ultra dense stands of coyote willow, salt cedar, Russian olive. And on the fringes of those riparian plants is mesquite. And it's sometimes it's like so thick that it will shred you to ribbons trying to walk through it. Mm-hmm. And then <clears throat> it's the thickest slashing that you could ever think about. Yeah. And then on right past that very fertile like high growth area along the Rio Grande, it just literally opens up into it's, random desert. Yeah, it's like a hundred yards on each side, yeah. probably. Mm-hmm. Of like this like riparian woodland, and then it's just raw desert. So when the dogs were heading up into the desert, I was like, there's no way a coon like ran into the open desert. Because the only plants up there, are, it's like gravelly hills, and the only plants up there are creosote bushes and mesquite. So like a coon would never run there. It would just stay in like super thick stuff. So we don't, or it could have, we don't, I don't, I don't Could have, have been a bobcat because yeah, there's it, a bunch of bobcats in there. And there's a lot. Then like later in the night, Brett was like, yeah, they're never going to catch a coon or a cat because of the, uh, the canopy on these thick things, the animal goes up and then it just like Runs. can walk like, like a trampoline up on right. top of everything. Yeah. The salt cedar canopies are just like an overlapping web that are like touching everywhere. It is crazy. It's so thick. Like a coon hunter knows how what thick brush is like, but I, I can't even believe these are places when I was a kid that we'd just look in there and be like, nah, we'll just play out in the desert. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's so thick in there. It's insane. So we took them back and we came down this draw and we were probably like 50 yards from the river and Piper started like, like, like cold striking, like super cold. Like she's like just bark there and would just like stand there and bark for a little while and just sniff around, bark call, again. We'll call that blue ticking. and then she worked it out i don't know what direction north south east or west it was to the right of me we'll just put it that way north North. yeah (laughs) um and the other dogs followed her and uh 
they were kind of working a pretty straight line and opening. And I'm like, man, it's getting hotter. It's getting hotter. And uh, we run got music down the playing river in there, Seth. No, you, no, I was just making music? sure I was hearing. No, I was making sure I could hear well through my headphones and not just hear like my like Lauren talking to me. And I'm like, they're gonna get them. They're gonna get them. And we run down the river, then we run up to a place where we could try and like, you know, meet them. And I hear Ridge. I think it was Ridge Tree. Was. Oh yeah, he was slamming, and I was so pumped. Like I had my bow knocked. I was ready to rock and roll. It's like, yeah, I'm gonna like straight up arrow a coon. Like this is gonna be <laughs> badass. Oh man, I was like a Robin Hood going through the salt yeah. cedars with this little 14 year old kid, uh, the son of the one of the property owners. And so me and him were just like darting around in there like ninjas, trying to get to the coon as quick as we and could. And I didn't know like how the animals move on the canopy at that point. So I'm like, if the coon's there it's gonna stay there so i'm just like doo, doo, doo. yeah she's like you guys ready to see a coon tree we're like going in there we're like yeah I'm like all right like, and i'm just moving slow because like i really have no rush for anything like i'll get there when i get there whatever right <laughs> so everybody's ahead of me and i'm walking in and then we're i'm it's it's so dense that you can't see where people are. So I'm like calling. I'm like, where are you? Hey, what we're are like you? 10 feet away. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then I'm like, everybody be quiet because the dog shut up. And I'm like, that's weird. And it yeah. just got dead quiet. And then all of a sudden. <laughs> so, so like we're there and Brett Vaughn was right behind me the whole time. And when the dogs went quiet, Brett kind of, I, because I'm a total like knowledge junkie. So like I was asking a ton of questions all night, probably being very annoying, but like, I just want to learn and I, I don't know what the barks mean. And so when they went quiet, I like whipped around and like looked at Brett and Brett kind of looked at me with like a, you know, like a cocked eye. And he's like, I bet they're on Havelina. <laughs> and I was like, Oh no. And then like, we were standing there all together real quiet. And then it turned out like, <laughs> like come up by us. And I was like, I knew that's a like an angry. Like twenty ha- feet away. Yeah, like twenty feet away. I was like, these are ang- <laughs> that's an angry Havelina. I was like, oh. And Brett looked and at then, me and he's like, yep, Havelina. As soon as Seth said that, I get like both my shock collars and I'm like, check, check, tone, no, 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 come on, come on, come on, come on, because I had heard and seen. Um, oh man. What Havelina can do to dogs, and I, you know, I'm freaking out at that point. Um, was this like, after she- Piper got got hit? No, this is the incident. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And you. the whole time we were in that in that super thick mess of salt cedars, I was like, thank goodness for the cows because they they had like cattle graze in here. So the cows actually like bored these like huge tunnels through the salt cedar mm-hmm. for us. So we were able to move through there actually relatively quickly compared to what we had encountered yeah. next. Yeah. And so like the whole time I was like, oh, man, the cows made this amazing. And so but we were in one tunnel and the tunnel right next to us, like 15 feet away, that whole group of havies passed by us. And I could hear the adults like angry, just like making that like low guttural rapid grunting mm-hmm. sound they make. It's not pig like it's it's almost like a I don't know. It's really unique and intense. And so they like zip right by us. And then she starts toning in those dogs and they come in and man. Yeah. Pipe was freaked out. Yeah. So Piper came in and we just started like getting out right away back to the river and probably like 50 yards. So we're like maybe like 80 yards in and then like mm-hmm. 40 to 50 yards from the river um, I was like, Piper's acting really weird. And the, the 14 year old boy, I mean, he's a typical boy. He like laid down ahead of the dogs and then tried to scare the dogs just for shits and giggles um, yeah. when they came by. And, uh, I thought he scared Piper, but Piper was just freaked out. 
And later when we got to the river and just kind of like reconvened and regrouped and everything, I'm like just shining around and I look at Piper. I'm like, oh, there's blood. There's a lot of blood. There's, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. She, she got it. Um, and she had gotten hooked by the javelina in the, the back leg thigh area and then two in the chest. Hmm. Um, the amount of damage they can do so fast it's insane they have the largest canines of any mammal bigger than a polar bear and i mean they can just run up and just wreck a dog yeah like that you know what i mean so this is a sow 100 percent that got her because boars can lay like eight inch gashes in dogs like really easily and quickly yeah she got she got very very lucky it wasn't um it wasn't it was bad but it wasn't bad Mm -hmm. exactly so we got back to the truck and i cleaned her out and just looked at everything and we're like well we don't want to stop (laughs) she's like she's like should we stop and i was like nah she wants to keep hunting the dog wanted to keep hunting like by the time we got you know going a little bit more like she wanted to keep going out and hunting and i'm like all right well she'll let you know let's go Yeah. yeah 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 and then so the the boy was like hey let's um let's go hit these irrigation canals they're really narrow but they always have coons in them and we were like yeah let's try it so we were like driving down this road in the Tacoma and the dogs are just running along the ditch and like, I'm going to like nerd out a little bit, but like, I'll get there, I guess we'll tell the story, but it, this world is the exact opposite in every way that I hunt. And just, just physiologically speaking, it is marvelous how they hunt. Like that is some seriously, it was the first time that my jaw just dropped. Like how amazing that is in that world of finding a coon because in the dark, in the dark, these cattails are so thick that like a human can barely walk through there. And it's like, you could, you could be standing in the cattails and then like stick your arm out, extend it all the way out. And you can't see your hand. And mm-hmm. like a foot of mock. And like a foot and a half of the stinkiest, <clears throat> dis- most disgusting, like anoxic. It's not like normal muck. swamp muck. No. It was worse. It's like, if like 10,000 bullfrogs <laughs> mated and then died in that muck. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and so like, it was, oh, it was nasty. Anyway. So like, we're like, do you mind? No, go ahead. We're you like, tell it better than I do. We're like driving down this canal. We're freezing. Oh, yeah. So here's stupid Seth freaking uh, wore my desert hiking boots down to the river. So I had I went as barefoot. They're, they're meshy tennis shoes. Yeah, they're basically like like vented hiking boots. <laughs> I wore those to the river. So I was like, screw it. I got like disgusting feet anyway. I'll just go barefoot all night. So I was just running barefoot all night until we got like up onto the hard ground for sure. So my feet are like frozen solid. You know what I mean? They're like they're like like stumps of ice hooked to my feet. You need and the so, padded room. You're, yeah. the, you're the one that needs the padded room. Who does I that? I Well, I know. I'm an idiot. I thought, I don't know. I don't know. I should have worn my sandals. I he guess. doesn't know what like proper, <laughs> proper like coon hunting boots are. Well, know? like, yeah, no. It's either your muck boots or like your waterproof insulated, you know, hiking, hunting boots. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah but 20 degrees and I'm going to go barefooted. That goes beyond knowing what. Oh, no, no. It was, like it, was like it was like 40. It was like 40. Oh, okay. It was 40. I'm with you, <laughs> yeah. I'm with you now. This, this okay. I'm tracking now, Seth. Look at these hooves. <laughs> Look at these hooves. <laughs> like, anyway. So. Dakota 283 offers you unparalleled protection for your hounds. We're talking about military-grade kennel crates. Uh, I got got one of these two-door kennel crates here at the house. It is super heavy-duty. It's got slap latches on it that are stainless steel. 
easily fits in the back of an SUV or if you're traveling with a camper shell, it's a great way to keep your dog protected while you are traveling. You just gotta check out their Dash Series. This is a watering system and I've used a lot of these portable waterers over the years, but this system is all integrated into one unit and the way it's designed out of high impact plastic, the water stays in the tank when you're not using it because you can put a plug in it. Check them out. Uh, the 3.5 is also compact enough that I can store it behind the seat of my pickup truck while I'm out hunting when it's super cold. I've had exterior tanks before, and as soon as I go to cold climates, then I've got to figure out how I'm going to get water to my hounds. And the dash takes care of that. So check out Dakota283 at dakota283.com and at checkout enter the code hxp10 and get 10 percent off of your order so like we're, we're cruising down this canal Rolling and like the dogs yeah they're they're all three dogs are out running along this canal it's approximately eight feet wide at the widest point at the bottom it's a deep v that uh comes down to the banks and inside and it's like 20 25 feet at the top of the v not quite. Okay, 20 feet. Like, yeah, 15, 20. Okay. Yeah. But like, because I can remember I could run down it relatively quickly, but I couldn't see out of it. So yeah, it's really deep. Anyway, but like inside the base of that, it's just choked out with dead cattails. Cat mm -hmm. And so the dogs are running above it and we had them downwind and they're just running along. And I remember we'd been doing it. They had ran a good like three miles at least. And they were just cruising along. And I was starting to just be like, man, there's no freaking coons in here. And all of a sudden Piper stops. And she like puts her nose up in the wind and my heart was like already like, all right, sweet. Like, let's see something. And then they just bail off into that cattails and they're just like, sh -sh -sh -sh. like you can hear them like moving through there. And then Piper opens and then Cedar opens and then Ridge starts opening and they're just like, sh -sh 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 -sh. like and, and probably like, I don't know, like eight minutes later. Yeah, not even. It was so fast and, yeah. and we got spoiled because we were like, oh yeah. So like, I remember it was like Piper was pushing the track, moving around and then Ridge and Cedar were moving around. And I remember like, they were all just gr grubbing it out and you can hear like Ridge's nose. He's like, rawr, rawr, rawr. like makes these like little pig snorting yeah. sounds, which was hilarious. And I remember they all were like in a big circle kind of working around. And then they all kind of went silent for a millionth of a second and they all just converged head first into each other. And then just rawr, like they caught the coup. Like, they got it. They got it. And yeah. I'm in the driver's seat and I'm like, they got one on the ground. And I'm like freaking out because I hate when they catch coons on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I don't like it. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I'm like, get the gun. <laughs> you can't shoot it. You couldn't even see it. I was probably yeah. like 10 feet away from the dogs and I could not see anything. I don't know what, like, I, you know, which end of the gun I was going to use. I don't know. <laughs> shoot yeah, in amongst so them. Yeah. yeah, so I just like run. one of us has got to get some relief. That's like right. I'm totally, totally like I, I mean I try to grab a rifle and then I'm like, no, nah, I can't even see the action. The dogs are no more than ten feet away from me, but I'm outside the cattails. They're inside. You can hear the crazy coon sounds and the dogs are barking. And then I was like, screw it, I'm just gonna run in. I don't even know what I was gonna do. I went down in there too. Yeah, but I couldn't like... get close enough, <laughs> fast enough. Like I was like, maybe am I gonna like try to kick the coon or like catch it or like I don't I don't know. Like I just was running down in there and like right when I got into the cattails, they went silent and the coon somehow slipped out and like I'm, we're gonna review. Do we believe it slipped out. I think it got into a hole, one of those canal canal yeah, ditches. It, either that or they killed it and we didn't realize and they were just like, okay, we're done. Yeah, because they were fighting it for like probably like 25 seconds before we were, 30 seconds or so before we were able to yeah. get down in there. But like, yeah, I mean, 
there, there's a lot of cool stuff to unpack from all our adventures. But like, yeah. anyway, so they, they, they like, they like whatever happened, they trailed around for like another 20 minutes looking for what happened. And we don't really know what happened. And we went home. It was super satisfying. I wanted to hold the coon, but it was still really rad. And I just like had my mind blown and I had no idea that it was about to get blown like epically more because just, just like the physiology of a coon hound is, is phenomenal. Well, and hunting like, in, in yeah. those cattails, like I thought about it probably like for the next three weeks. Cause we kept going back too. Yeah. Yeah. To the and same spot. It like, especially like last week, the, the when we actually so saw you were like on a mission to accomplish something there is what you were doing. Yeah, we really, I really, really wanted to get a New Mexico coon. Like, mm-hmm. that had been my first one. And uh, really, honestly, I just was just having a great time experiencing something totally new. I live for those experiences. And obviously, with hound hunting, it's it's 10 times better. We, we ended up going back to that same spot and just roading the dogs down that canal. We liked the canal because of two reasons. One, there is no, like, dangerous things for them to encounter in there. There's no javelina. There's no, like, horrible spiky stuff. But the downside yeah. is there's no there's no trees. The coon isn't yeah. going to tree. They're going to catch it on the ground or they're going to flush it out into the open and we're going to just shoot it. And and my dogs aren't like big on catching coon and fighting them. They're going to bay it up. Cedar mm-hmm. might try and fight it, but I like that they're they're more of a bay dog than a kill dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's what they're supposed to be. You know, if you have, if you've got a kill dog and it does that for raccoons or bears, like. That dog's not going to be around a while. It's going to be a killed dog. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but like, yeah. So the second time we went out was so fun. Like that was ridiculous. The dogs went 13 miles that night. We hunted a 200 yard long by eight foot wide section of this canal all night chasing a single coon back and forth. And those dogs did 10 of those miles in that 200 yard section of canal. Like it was. What's their food source? What would be their food source in there? So in these artificially augmented habitats that they live in, so, so this is inside a huge agricultural setup. The the Rio Grande River Valley super fertile soil. It's like a high clay loam. And they grow onions, chilies, pecans, cotton, and corn down and, there like and crazy. And it's huge fields that have um, like check ditches on each yeah, side. Correct. So like mounds, like, the, and then they flood the fields with water. So mm-hmm. it's like a huge field pool. Lake, yeah. Lake, they, yeah. they flood it like a lake. You. Yeah. yeah. And so everything here is dry ground farming. Yeah, so it's all irrigated. So these these check ditches that are everywhere have these check um, valves in them. And all these check valves are like these little tiny tubes that have maybe like a seven-inch diameter, and they're like 50 feet long, going connecting from from pumping source, which is this canal, to the fields. And those those are like coon highways, as, as well as like skunks and other small animals. And so that's where this, the coons live their day in these ultra-thick cattail ditches. And then at night, they move out to grub for worms and eat agricultural crops and look for pecans mm-hmm. and whatever else coons eat. And the Rio Grande's right there, too. So, you know, they're living on a nat- more natural diet. But their population is artificially augmented in these, like, agricultural setups, as every Midwesterner knows. Like, that's that's why there's huge amounts in the Midwest. Right. Insane amount. And our, our population is a fraction of like corn country. You know what I mean? It's much smaller. And to me, this is like coon city, but apparently there's a lot more coons in Wisconsin and Indiana and stuff than there is here, which I oh, knew, yeah. like I figured that was yeah. the case. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, anyway, like we, we still, we were in like a coon hotspot and we still had to run the dogs probably eight miles, like not hunting, just like six miles of actual running before they could like strike a track and get after yeah. one. 
Wow, your um, dogs will be so in like phenomenal cool. shape. Oh, dude. I yeah, hope they so. look good. They look yeah. really good. Yeah. Um, the the young ones are still developing, so they're just not as jacked as Piper is yet. Yeah, she looks good. Um, but uh, the thing like about these cattail ditches that I you know was just contemplating over time is like this is like the toughest scenting. Well, besides like dry ground lion hunting, to for these dogs to figure out, it's very tough, tough hunting, um, because you know for her to cold, she you know cold strike struck a coon that night because they we didn't see it for probably, I mean at least forty five minutes yeah. or two hours or who knows what, and then they the coon, so let's say you know we're here and then the dogs move the coon up to where we are. By the time we like the dogs get there, the coon's already 200 yards behind. The other direction. Around. Yeah. Okay. So the coon is crossing all these tracks. Right. You know, back and forth, back and forth. And Ten dogs, miles worth of 200 yards back and forth. And the dogs yeah. have to figure out like the difference between you know five minutes and eight minutes yeah. of where the coon went, tr- you know, track wise, uh, scent wise. The yep. second night, the second time we went was seriously some of the most fun hound hunting I've ever had because like we saw the coon probably 12 times. It ran over Lauren's foot in the pitch black. Yeah. I like tried to kick it or step on it because I didn't want to shoot it. Did you have the dogs your shoes right on? There. Yeah, I did. Actually. Okay. I was wearing, I was wearing sandals though. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so I sort of had shoes on, but anyway, yeah, like it was so awesome because like the dogs were pushing up. We were still roading in the Tacoma and like, the dogs were pushing up the track, and then all of a sudden, the kid that was riding in the truck was like, "There's the coon!" And it like came out of the cattails and was running on the opposite bank, like just straight up coon sprinting. Yeah, and that's the first coon I've ever seen, like in the New Mexico like riparian zones. I've never seen a coon except one time when I was a kid, and so like I was like, "Oh man!" And so I mean, and then it dropped back into the ditch. It just goes straight into the ditch. The dog, we call the dogs up. They run out of the ditch, haul ass up to where we were, drop down and start trailing him. And then the kid, he bolts up the canal like 200 yards and stands there with his spotlights waiting. Yeah. The coon and the dogs trail up to that point where he is. And then the coon came out again, tried to make a break for the pecan fields, but saw the kid with his spotlight and went right back into the ditch. Huh. And the dogs followed him exactly in my heart i was just like this is so awesome this is so awesome and you could just see like the dogs move towards us and then you'd get a glimpse of the coon right in front of you like five feet in front of you in this super thick stuff and he would like see you go like and like turn around (laughs) and go back up and then like five minutes later the hounds would get to you and turn around and follow him back yeah so like the kid wanted to like wanted me to call my dogs to where we just saw the raccoon i'm like no Let them hunt. Let them figure it out. So if it took five minutes, if it took eight minutes, if it took ten mm-hmm. minutes for them to get back to that point, I didn't care. If the coon turned around, it turned around. But the dogs took their time. They got to where we did see the coon, and then they had to continue and figure it out again. Yeah. And they, so we was, we taught that kid so fun. <laughs> what what hunting was and mm-hmm. what scenting was and like the ethical way to hunt and not just like spot like things and like send dogs into it. Right. Yeah. And so like what was super. I thought was just so exhilarating is that finally the dogs were like gaining ground on the coon and like it would run up and, and occasionally like one of Lauren's hounds would be like out of like trying to figure out the track and would be like out just to the right or left of the cattails where he can like see down that canal and that coon came out. And so they would like run up and gain some ground on it and then dive back into the cattails. And at one point I actually could see because what blew my Bridge mind was in the middle of the cattails though, when you saw 
him and the coon. No, no, that was later on. Oh, okay. Yeah, so like earlier, I think it was Cedar that like ran up like 200, like 50 yards and like ran back in and tried to get closer to oh, it. Okay. But anyway, so like what was so cool and really phenomenal is that that coon could be moving at full speed through there next to you and you would not hear it. Didn't hear it and couldn't even see reeds moving or anything. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I, once I trained my eye what to look for, right at the end of the night, I saw the reeds just ever so slightly bending. And I was like, that must be the coon. And then, like, seconds behind him was Ridge just slamming, just like super loud. And then the coon came out of the thick cattails, and I could see the coon like bounding and Ridge right behind him just. And I was like, get him, Ridge, get him. (laughs) It was awesome. And then it dove into the cattails again, and Ridge had to trail him instead of sight chasing him. It was. It was awesome. Like it was yeah. so fun. It was so exciting. I, when you get back to Wisconsin, Lauren, your dogs are going to be beast on a track. <laughs> they I really also, are. I feel like I'm just going to need to go hunt swamps now just to keep them in ship shape. <laughs> that that is just an amazing experience for your young your young hounds. Piper's not young, but you know Ridge and oh, Cedar. She's only three. Yeah, so, and and she's getting tons yeah. of experience. I mean, yeah. That is so crazy. I mean, I think, you know, we've talked about it as, you know, you want to have like multi-purpose, well-rounded hounds. And I do too. Like we, you know, Seth talked yesterday. He's like, you've got some well-traveled hounds. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, Super red. And, and I, I was think I keep thinking about this cattail situation because I analyze how difficult it actually was and how they excelled, especially Piper. Um, and I was like, you know what? Because we did have some garbage dogs yeah, <laughs> around. We did. <laughs> well, well, yeah, yeah. Learning. I mean, he was only nine months old. Yeah. But I think, like, if you just had, like, I don't know, like, I think it'll make a garbage dog or a bad dog look like garbage, and it'll make a really good dog look like a diamond. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And that, and just in that right. scenario. Well, how good is it for Ridge? They they trailed him probably almost by that point it had been an hour and a half of back and forth like 30 times. And he saw the coon like he was like, there it is. Like, it's so good for him to like validate how to mix up that spaghetti bowl of tracks and mm-hmm. to like see the coon be like, yes, that's it. Like I'm on his trail. I'm right behind it. He was like 10 feet behind him. It was so awesome. And Piper being like the slower cold trailer, like she's behind on like the track that Ridge is forward on. Yeah. Still yeah. trying to boohoo it out. So, yeah. so you got validation. It sounds like on the amount of prey drive that your hounds have. You know, a, a, a hound that did not have that high degree of prey drive, they would have. I'm. I know some hounds. Yeah, they would have never even gone in the reeds. You know, and oh, and yeah. so, man, it's just uh, when you are willing to put your hounds in new situations like that and get out of the com- your comfort zone. You can really you can really evaluate what kind of hound you got. And and uh the hounds and I definitely paid a price for it. So the, they they are, their eyes up. all have really really bad conjunctivitis right uh, now every time after and it's just like yellow green goop that won't go away. Yeah. And um the smell that they have cuz they're just caked in muck. Yeah. So uh, every every time after we went uh, I'd make them sleep outside in the dog box. Uh, um, and then we'd have to bathe them the next day. It was right. so gross. <laughs> right. It was so gross. So like, I, you know, we really want to go coon hunting and then we know like all the crap that we have to deal with the next day. Yeah. But it's worth it. It was yeah. really fun. And then I, I guess 
Yeah. And I'm not just saying this, like I'm being dead serious. I was super impressed with your dogs. Every time we went out, too. we saw coons every yeah. time. You know what I mean? Like, and that's awesome. Considering I've lived my entire life outdoors in this state, I've never seen a coon. Then I go out four times and see one every time. Like, yeah. that's pretty awesome. I did go, yeah. I went coon humming up in the mountains too. And we just saw den trees, but in the vastness of where we were, it was really cool to be like, I'm for sure there's a coon in that tree because mm -hmm. like you see all the poop. And then the other one was like a totally hollow Douglas fir in the middle of like everything else. that's pristine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm happy. Um, then later on we had a skunk encounter, what, like four days ago. Yeah. <laughs> my first skunk encounter in my life. There's so many skunks down there. There's way more skunks than coons. It's and like, like skunks to down there is like New York City to rats. <laughs> they just thrive in those agricultural setups. And they're yeah. obviously so opportunistic. And we were like driving along and she had all the three dogs out roading. And she we like spine, shine the spotlight out in the field. And she's like, are all three of my dogs out there? Or is the puppy out there? And then right when I was like, what? She's like, ah! I was, no, I was like, what is that? What is that? Because my prescription is so bad right oh, now. Oh, that's right. That's right. I like, I need new glasses. So everything's just kind of blurry and colored. <laughs> and I'm like, what is that? What is it? I just, like, just see this dark blob out there in the, in the mix of the dogs. I'm like, what is that? What is that? And they're, the dogs are probably like a meter away. Right there. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, it's a skunk. And I didn't have any of my controllers in my hand. And I'm like screaming at them. Like, well, I'm trying to like dig in the truck for the controllers to shock them. And <laughs> it was too late. Oh, it was, it was over. horrible. Oh, it was horrible. Oh, and I was like, no. And I, I hate the smell of skunks. Like it is so vile and awful. <laughs> and Piper got it straight in her mouth. Like, oh, and her nasty wrinkly mouth. Oh, it was yeah. so gross. Like, and so, yeah, that was lame. But Piper, she was like salivating really bad and her eyes were like super red and teary, but she wanted to keep hunting. So <laughs> yeah, we were like, so well, we did. So let's just keep hunting. Like, yeah. And, and did she uh, puke? Did she no, lay down she and didn't. puke? Was she no, trying to rub I, it I off doused, her face and stuff in the grass? Yeah, and I doused her with water, and I um, shoved a bunch of like water down her in her mouth just, yeah. to, just to try and. And I put my hand in there to try and like just wash her mouth oh, out. Nice. Um, like I've done with like when they get a toad in their mouth. <laughs> so now I'm covered in skunk. Oh. Yeah, she, I, made, I made her. She, I was driving the truck while she while she was dealing with the skunk. Whose truck? I was, Yours or hers? Mine. Mine. Not mine. Yeah, I made there you her go. Right in the back. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's so, right. Like she was, she, she, she was, I was driving when she was dealing with the skunk fiasco, and she got back in the truck, and I was like, "You could just stay over there, because like I don't want to sit where you are sitting and reeking like skunk. My wife will kill me if I come in smelling like skunk." <laughs> and so I drove the rest of the night, and that's when she took that picture of me looking like a real OG coon hunter. Yeah. <laughs> And that was I, like amazing. You looked like you had just been around somebody that had been skunked, you know, in that picture <laughs> on social media. You're like, oh man, what am I doing out you know, here? And that was just a, that was just a, you know, like when you, you, you're like smiling for a photo and you blink and it makes you look like you're like blazed or sleepy. Like that was just the, the instant that, that, that camera snapped, I was just about to turn and smile at Lauren. So like it totally did not. Oh, you look, no, no, no. It was, it was awesome. It was like, I'm no, I'm I'm studying what is going on here and I'm <laughs> analyzing all these moves and I'm really into it. You know. Yeah. Well, if, he was though cuz I gave, I, was. I gave yeah. him his own GPS. 
Um, and he was like, wow, these things are so cool. They are. Yeah. They're so awesome. Like those things are so freaking cool. Like, oh yeah. my gosh, that was awesome. So I don't even know how yeah. husband could have done it without him. Like that is so awesome to have that data. <laughs> you know, the thing about the thing about alphas and GPS is you always hear about all these old time dogs and stuff and how great they were. I was having this discussion with, with a houndsman last week. GPS Garmin has made us realize how good or how bad our hounds actually are. You know, uh -huh. and I, I think it would be the losses. Yeah. I, I think it would be I wish we had a time machine we could go back and put a Garmin yes. on some of these legendary hounds. You know, you've heard the phrase deader the better. You know, but you, <laughs> I you, love that. You you hear yeah. you hear about Oh, back in the day, they would have. Uh, we don't have any real hounds anymore. Wouldn't it be cool to be able to go back and slap an Definitely. alpha on on one of some of those old legendary hounds and just see oh. how good they were? Houndsman XP is very proud of our partnership with the organization Freedom Hunters. Freedom Hunters is a nonprofit organization that takes America's veterans hunting from field to field, from the battlefield to a field near you when you volunteer your time to take America's warriors hunting with you and your hounds. It's easy. Go to houndsmanxp.com, click on the partnership tab, and it will take you to Freedom Hunters. You can go direct to their website to make donations at freedomhunters.org. Support America's heroes. Let's pay it back. Visit Freedom Hunters at freedomhunters.org or go to houndsmanxp.com and you can find them on our website from field to field. Yeah, yeah. So where do you think what do you think you would see on some of those hounds? Let's say that maybe weren't so legendary, but they claim they were. I what would do you guess think they you trash would, more. What would you see on the Garmin, Chris? I don't know. You know, I think you'd probably see um I think you'd probably see you know, pretty, pretty fast tracks moving out that, uh, that turned into coon tracks. I think you might see mm. some of that, you know, start out as a trash race, and yep. switch, you know, straight <laughs> lining away from those. you and then boom, all of a sudden, maybe some of that, you'd probably see uh, a little bit of moving around and milling around on some trees, you know, that, that are unacceptable today. I mean, you, with, with the Garmin today, you can really you can really zone in and see a lot of things. <laughs> and, and I think, I just think it would be interesting. You know, that's what Brett said. Exactly what Brett said. He's like, you learn a lot about your dogs, what they're doing just right out of sight. Yeah. And, and yeah. yeah, I agree with him. I think there's probably a lot more trashiness going on back in the day. Cause you couldn't correct it like well, you can now. Yeah. Not only trashy, but, but you'd probably see how, um, much a dog did or did not hunt. You know, is mm -hmm. it? Was you it? You could tell who was in front too, even in like yeah. a pack of yeah. like six dogs. You could tell who was the lead dog. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which you can't if you're you know a hundred yards away and just listening. Yeah, yeah. I, I just think it would be really interesting. No doubt there were some great legendary hounds that have shaped the hounds we've got now, but but still, I think uh, I think it would be interesting. I think it'd be really cool. <laughs> You know, I think um, like kind of capping off our night because we after the skunk spray, we got like back into the hunt and, and we well, went. And I was like, we need to get to the river. Yeah, I need yeah. to get these dogs to the river now. So, so we just hunted so down. Get them in the water and rinse yeah. them off. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, uh, we me were. Like, and me. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, get it. I was gonna dunk her in there. <laughs> it was like fifty something degrees that night, at least. It was fifty one. It, it was beautiful. Yeah, it was such a perfect night. I was actually barefoot and comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, uh, I told I told the 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 young man. I said, hey, take us to the river where there's no um, uh, no cat cat claw. I was like, we do, I don't want to be through the cat claw again. The Russian olive. Uh, Google what a Russian olive is on your free time, everybody. They're gnarly. They have like a two and a half inch spine, and they're just it looks like a like a tree cactus. Well, and and earlier in the day, he had uh, been out bareback riding his horse. Yeah. And he's like, I know where a ton of coon tracks are. I mean, there's coon highways everywhere. And, <laughs> so this you know, kid got like, into it too. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, and he's such a good kid. He's got a hound dog that's yeah um, learning. Yeah. He's such a good kid too. Yeah. So exuberant. He makes me, man, I look like a bucket full of cold molasses compared to this kid. Holy oh my smokes. Gosh, for sure. He is all, I mean, he's, it is really like going back in time for me, like yeah. 15 years in the past. Cause I, he is just like a bundle of excitement, enthusiasm and energy. He was like the dogs would tree and he would run to the tree or like they would slam a coon and he'd be like going to it faster than a, my greyhounds. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. like, so excited calling us kid. all the time and telling us you know like my, my dog's trailing now because he was hunting with lauren's hounds and he's learning to trail and he'd send me these texts and videos of his dog bang and like it was yeah. awesome it was so cool and rewarding like mm -hmm. really rewarding mm -hmm. and so um we, we like get down to this river area there are coon tracks freaking everywhere the dogs go into the riparian woodland and they start hunting but it, it's not what he told us what the river would be like <sighs> Where the dogs went in were, was not what he imagined. Like probably like two or three hundred yards forward, it opened up. But that's not just where that's not where the dogs hunted. Yeah, yeah. and that's not where the coons are. Duh! Like they're yeah. gonna be in the most awful in the cover. Yeah, yeah. And so the ridge just like slams this tree, and he is like a beast. And uh, even I was like, all right. I gotta go see. Yeah. So like the kid. And I know Ridge doesn't um, open on track like a whole bunch, but when he slams a tree, there's been a coon there. Yeah. So. And the, his bark was, I had never heard him bark like that. And except when they caught the coon on the ground. Yeah. So I was like, he knows a coon is there. So I, even I got excited. I was really tired by this point. I was like super sleepy. I was like, well, whatever I'm going in. So the kid, he bolts ahead of me. He's like deep in there. I can hear him like crashing through there. And I'm like that is not a good sign. You know what I mean? Because like, right. he was like a little Impala running through those woodlands. And I'm not exactly the most not nimble dude. I'm pretty like American Ninja, but not like this kid. He was uh, slithering through there like a lubed up snake. And I'm like <laughs> trying to keep up with him. And so... And I stayed on the river. I'm just listening to all this happen because yeah. I'm like, whatever, they'll go find if there's a coon there or not. Like, I don't need to go in there. It's fine. Yeah, I'm a horrible houndsman. I don't even need to. <laughs> Bring my dog back. Yeah, Bring exactly. my dog back. Exactly. <laughs> like, I looked at it and I'm just like, oh, I, I was just like, there is no way oh. I am going in there. Nope. So I already had a great respect. And I really do want to get to this point. I really do. But like, man, I already had a great respect for like the incredible, like, amount of um uh i don't i don't even know tenacity and agility and perception of a coon hound but this took it to like the whole nother level like this was so thick walking through there it took me probably 20 minutes to walk 100 yards it was 83 feet 83 feet yeah <laughs> 83 feet it took me like 10 minutes to get through there so the kid is like ahead of me and i could hear him just like crashing through there and and I look in there at my headlamp and it's just a wall of ragweed. 
like, and I mean like a freaking wall of ragweed, salt cedar dead and alive, and and um, parts bits of Russian olive, which I specifically said to take this place that don't have that. And so like I'm like, I'm like the most redneck Tarzan ever, trying to like slither my way through this stuff, and it's like. Awful. You have to get on your belly. So I got down on my belly, and as soon as I did, I know this sounds like really cliche and hilarious, but like as soon as I got down, literally on my belly, like my beard was rubbing on the ground, it was like a whole nother world in there. Like and, you could yeah. see the tunnels yeah. that the coons and the dogs were running through. And so like I'm on my hands and knees, like army or on my belly, like army crawling through this stuff, and I'm just getting obliter like I'm so scratched up, like getting obliterated by all the pokey stuff on the ground. And the I'm like my back is scraping and my shoulders are like getting all torn up, like as I'm like crawling through this thing. 83 feet. Dude, it <laughs> felt like I went through like 17 miles of like running across the beaches of Normandy. You know what I mean? Like it was the worst. And so like I I stood up just to catch my breath and like gather myself because it was so frustrating and difficult and i could hear ridge slamming that tree like right next to me but i couldn't see a thing so i like stand up and i'm like screw it i'm gonna try to climb over all this so i start climbing up into the trees themselves i'm like seven feet off the ground trying to like tarzan my way through that's the what trees. i was gonna say I, do you have any vines yeah. you could swing from <laughs> i took my shirt off i went <laughs> anyways deep down i'm so glad i didn't go in there and so also it was all ragweed too so like everyone knows how itchy and horrible ragweed is and so like the pollen is so thick i'm like coughing and i can barely see is it Finally, pollinating right now no it was all okay. dead from last year I got you. it's just dust just dust yeah, yeah. yeah. it's like yeah. um it's like in the movies when the superhero like goes into like one of those like ten thousand year old catacombs and the books are like <laughs> yeah like Everything was like that. So I get to the tree and Ridge is being a beast. And when I went to the New Mexico Houndsman Association night hunt, one thing they taught me that was like super genius is on a moonlit night like it was, turn off all your lights and just look up. And you right. can look for blobs in the canopy. Well, like, so I tell the kid, because he's like, I can't find the coon. I can't find the coon. And I was like, well, turn your lights off. So I turned, we turned our lights off and I looked up and I just remember hearing Brett's voice in my head when he was just like, those coons will just run from the treetops forever. Because when I looked straight up, it just looked like an unending chain of overlapping salt cedars above me. And I yeah. was like, he's gone. And Ridge and he, had changed trees. Yes. So Ridge was. Or bushes or whatever it the, is. The, the young man had been like ahead of me by like 25 feet. And he was like, he was treed here. And then Ridge like came through the brush and treed on the tree right next to me. And so I figured the coon was running. And I just remember being like, damn it. Now I have to walk out. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And it took us like 20 minutes to get out. It was horrible. Anyway, it was horrible. Let's just say that was awful. And so I was like, I'm done. We still haven't seen a coon in a tree. Yep. Mm, but yeah. there's really no trees here. Yeah, so. <laughs> exactly. I've just totally resigned myself to be like, I'm going to Wisconsin this summer and I'm going to see like real hardwood tree and, action. And I had to explain them like coons are really hard to find when it's all leafy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We I, get, I we get a lot of that elevated canopy here, uh, in some like Osage orange hedge trees. And then it, it, especially if it's got, you know, like vining honeysuckle and stuff like that, you can really get into but but not like you're describing. It sounds like you've got a whole different stratosphere for travel for raccoons out there. So like, I'm, may I? Yeah, like I'm just gonna like listen, and I'm dead serious. 
the the amount of like perception to be a coon hound, especially for Lauren's dogs that have never encountered this, like not only they are hunting in the thickest, nastiest, brambliest, most horrible stuff I've ever experienced. They're running through there like 10 miles an hour in the pitch black and are pulling a coon out of their hats. Like it's like a magic trick, like physiologically yeah. speaking. It is some of the most jaw-dropping dog stuff I've ever encountered. And my dogs can run almost 50 miles an hour. And, like, that to me was probably more incredible because, like, I'm moving at, like, 0.1 miles per hour and I'm, like, wanting to just, like, scream. And those dogs are flying through there following mm. these coons. They want it That's so That's a cool bad. perception. Yeah. It is amazing. It's, like, extrasensory perception, man. Like, how are they able to move through this so effectively? And, like, dude, I got so shredded and cut up and stabbed to bits and they're like more or less fine. I know their eyes are really scratched up. But they've got, like we've talked about their skin a bunch. Mm -hmm. I saw some saw some skin. dude marketing some uh action goggles for training his hound yeah. with action goggles on yeah. on Well, and uh, I commented on that media. post too. Yeah, and I'm thinking Lauren needs this in South New Mexico. Yeah. yeah, like that's the first thing I thought too. Like I was like, dang, that's a good idea actually. <laughs> and it's not so much so that they can like see, like you see could just thing. black out those mm -hmm. the the goggles, but it's just like the protection. Yeah, they can't see a thing in there. Like it's pitch black because that canopy is so thick, and you're yeah, down but on that. The dogs' level. rods and cones. I mean, the, the, you know, the, their eye design. They've got to be able to pick up a little bit of it. I, I yeah. agree. But, They're probably seeing like the faint shadows. You know what I mean? Obviously yeah. they have way better night vision, but even still, like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it, it's phenomenal. And it really did just, just from a strictly physiology standpoint, I was floored at how incredible it was that they're finding a raccoon in there. Like it's incredible. It I think is really amazing. The, the coolest thing about this whole story, I think, and I've said this to you too privately, but Lauren one is you had the courage to go do this and the bond that you two have formed over the last month and a half. Maybe I'm not getting the full story. Maybe, maybe Seth's ready for you to go home. Uh, <laughs> it's been fun. It's been amazing. Yeah. It's been so fun. But like, that, that's cool. And then uh, the, the exuberance Seth that you have about watching sin hounds work. I mean, that I is such a off. cool story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I love like how excited he is about it. And I kind of told him, like, you know, I see coons and I hunt coons and all this stuff all the time. So like I'm just I'm I'm a little bit more low key about it. Right. But I like seeing someone so excited about it. I just love learning. I just think yeah. about it a lot afterwards and like just let it settle in my brain and just think about it afterwards, like, okay, who did good? Who did bad? Why did they do good? Why was this great? Mm -hmm. You know, stuff like that. Which is how exactly how I was. And I took you hunting. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it was the flip exact opposite. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, and that's the thing, like, uh, I just love learning. And this was like a hundred percent new to me in every way. And as a dorky, like wildlife biologist, just, just the, the incredible, like physiology and perception of both predator and prey is, is amazing. Like how can you not be impressed by something flying through the thickest, nastiest stuff, basically silent. And then having these dogs that are pursuing it, it, it was amazing. We drove, it's just like that cattail yeah. action, especially was so thick that you drive by miles of that before the dogs were like, there's a coon down there and they just go down there and find one. And that's incredible. Like, yeah. 
as a human, you're just driving by being like, I bet there's a coon in there. I, I bet think there's that's a coon the, in there. that's the bond of houndsmen, whether you're coursing dogs or you're lion hunting or you're bear hunting or you're coon hunting. That's what gets us wound up, you know, being yeah. able to see that work and you realize how driven and how uh, prehistoric those instincts are to run and catch game. Mm-hmm. It just it just blows me away, and that's what keeps us going back and keeps us going totally. back. And, you know, not so much catching in my dogs, uh, but tracking. <laughs> no, yeah. they, they catch them. They they, put, they we yeah. saw the coons every yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. It's just like sometimes I wish my dogs had a little bit more grit or something. Yeah, because I don't. Yeah, you know, we and, thought about like how the heck did that coon get away? That first one that they caught and fought. Well, let me tell yeah. you. Yeah, you guys ready? Can I shift gears just a little bit and tell you yeah, about? Go ahead. You you mentioned grit, and that's a good segue. So I didn't know how gritty. I had a pretty good idea how gritty my two plots were. I mean, I've seen Cajun wade in face first on a coon and never whimper. And he just catches it, and it's over in 35, 35 to 45 seconds. You know, just boom, it's over. But uh, hog hunting. Oh yeah, tell us about that. Oh my gosh, on this bayou and and the episodes out this week, but um the week that we're recording this. But you don't know how gritty they are until you know, you come around, you come through this channel in the marsh and you get back and you can see the bay up on the bank and you realize that your dogs have got this 100-pound hog stretched out between them. You oh know? my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Damn. just going to town, you know, not scared of it at all. I thought that's what the catch dog is for. <laughs> we only no, we only had we only had to use it. We really did not need the catch dog at all. We turned him loose a couple times just to get him out of the boat. But those plots that Mike Collie breeds, they catch. And mm-hmm. so that's for, what for I, that's what I've got here too. Yeah. So I mean, I was really worried about Cajun being so gritty that that during bear season, I figured he would. I thought he would be too gritty, and I thought he'd get himself killed. And uh, Diablo's a little smarter uh, about it, a little more cautious. But they did great during bear season. But yeah, so the hunting in the marsh is just crazy. I mean, it's it's Mike says it's the easiest type of hunting that you do, but the terrain is just like that mud that you talked about. You know, I mm-hmm. stepped off of this. You try to step on the clumps of vegetation because you know you're yeah. going to stay up. Well, I stepped We've on one. We've got that in Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah, stepped on one clump of vegetation right by a channel. And this, the water in this channel was only a foot and a half wide. And I step on this clump and the whole clump sunk. And I actually, oh. I literally went up thigh deep on one leg trying to get oh. out of that, you know. But yeah, yeah. so I mean, <laughs> grit, grit is um, something that, can be a uh, blessing or a curse. You know, you can get a lot of vet bills out of it. Yeah, I've heard someone say, you know, regarding Piper, and they got to see Piper hunt out here and everything, and um, a dog like her, she might not be around long. Yeah. Um, just because of what she gets into and, and stuff like that mm-hmm. and how crazy she is. Yeah, I got I got Diablo and Cajun back to the truck after hog hunting, and... I found more stuff on them where they'd been hit, uh, 
a couple days later, you know, like up on the side. Yeah. I got scabbing up. Yep. I started feeling Cajun's ears and stuff, and he had teeth marked through his ears. You know, the, the teeth marks were uh, an inch and a half or so apart where a hog had bit him in the ear and stuff. Oh. And just, just, yeah. just no, no backup at all. So, uh, crazy stuff. Well, you guys want to uh, go ahead? Oh, go ahead. Oh, was, no, no. Yeah, I was just going to. Oh, it's the, it's the, <laughs> hey, we can see each other. Oh, my gosh. We're see, we can see each other and we're still having train wrecks. Go ahead, bud. Oh, I was just going to say, you guys want to do some uh, fan correspondence in this thing? Yeah. You guys, pull, any, you guys pull anything up? Or no, you, I, I haven't. Oh, okay. I didn't know that was the plan. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I've got a couple. And that's fine. We'll just talk about them. Uh, we got one correspondence from a, a listener in Canada, and uh, I just want to—I just want to cover some of these to let people know that we do read them, and we'll share them on the air. Especially the ones that I feel like people can can pull some some value out of. So I'll just read the read the comment, and then. Uh, I didn't ask for his permission to use his name, so I won't. But uh, says, huge fan of your podcast. I'm a listener from Eastern Canada. I own a Brittany and an English Pointer, and I'm a, an avid Upland hunter. Would love to get a hound for Bobcat and Coons, but have never met. Uh, I think he, I've never met a houndsman here. Most of my knowledge came from your podcast. I was wondering if starting a lone hound would be a good idea where the, where they usually hunt in pairs or groups I've noticed and would you recommend a breed for a beginner thanks and thanks for your great content so who wants to address that first well since it's like scent hound stuff um I can just based on my experience and starting dogs recently I mean I I'm not I'm now old timer like you Chris it's been doing it forever whatever <laughs> um you know i've i've had the opportunity to always have my dog start and at least get a little bit of influence a couple times from another dog Mm -hmm. you don't have to own that other dog um but i do see some benefit at least you know for the first three or four times out in the woods to have that dog with another dog once they understand what they're supposed to do, mm-hmm. hunt that dog alone and continuously hunt that dog alone and that dog will figure it out. It's just a, a ton of time you have to put into it and that dog will turn out to be a good dog. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I started Maggie, my first dog, you know, I got her out in the woods with, um, you know, a seasoned hound. And then Maggie's the one who trained Piper, you know, for the first couple, I don't know, probably took her out five times or something. And then these pups get to go out with Piper. Um, you just have to connect with people. I think I don't. I I think starting two dogs, like getting two puppies to start, don't do it. Right, right. <laughs> I can yeah. tell you from experience, it wasn't horrible, but you know, for a first time houndsman, don't do it. Yeah. Um. That's that's my opinion, and I don't know what this guy wants to hunt. If it's raccoon or if it's bear, you know, if it's bear, raccoon and bobcat is what he was saying. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Raccoon and bobcat. Um, you know, it might help to have more than one dog. If you're chasing a bobcat, you know, maybe two or three. Um, I don't know much about it, but raccoon, you only need one dog. Right. Right. So, 
you know, in, in any state there's, you know, organizations and I'm sure there's people out there. Did he say what state he's from? Canada. He's, he's from oh, Canada. Canada, Eastern Canada. So, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, m my thought is, uh, I, I always rely back on the old John Wick advice that he gave in Walk with Wick. And for a first timer, by the time you, you buy a pup, or two pups or three pups and you met, you know, you don't get them trained the way you want them. The time, yeah, I know the, you're going the gas you spend, uh, your time. I, I advise this guy to, to, to find the best hound that you can find that does what you want to do and spend the money. You are going to be money ahead at that point. Mm -hmm. And not only are you going to be money ahead, but Somebody that's never coon hunted or bobcat hunting, how do you how do you train a dog to do that job right if you have no? You don't experience? even know. Yeah. yeah. I don't even, so I don't even know when you on. buy a well trained hound, one from you. your area, that hound is going to teach you how to be a how to be a good hunter, and yep. and yeah. and then down the road as you want to expand and you want to get into some of the nuances of houndsmanship, then you might think about getting a, a well bred pup. And, yeah, and coming into that, you you know, the thing that I see a lot is these established breeders and bringing youth and new hunters into it is extremely important. But giving a first timer or a beginner a puppy more often than not is a recipe for disaster uh, on both sides. You're going to either have a frustrated hunter that, that can't figure it out or a dog trainer or you're going to have a dog that is not properly trained. So I've, I've, I've actually put some older hounds in the hands of beginners that I was training young dogs, bringing young dogs up and the old dog was sitting there. And it's just like, if I know them, I trust them. It's like, Hey, I got a hound here. It needs to be hunted. You want to hunt. This dog will teach you how to hunt. Come and get it. Come and come to my house and get it. Take it hunting anytime you want. I think that's, that's I mean, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. I, I guess in my experience and me just being a knucklehead, I am stubborn. I'd be like, well, I want to do it all by myself. I want to mm -hmm. be able to claim like I, you know, sure. I did it all myself and from the, from the beginning and I had the right connections. You yeah. know, when I got Maggie who, you know, wasn't a started coon dog or, and that was just my experience. But if you don't have those connections, I agree. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I got my dogs as pups, and then I, I, the advice you gave Chris is the exact advice I would give to somebody from my world too, from the sighthound world, because I got my dog as pups, and I had no adult dogs to teach them. I would have never been catching jacks if I wouldn't have met my now good friend and mentor just by complete luck. Yeah. I met my friend, and Justin. that's one of this and, thing this guy says yeah. is is not he hasn't met any other houndsmen, so that's part of his dilemma yeah. too. So. He doesn't really have access there, but Lauren, you're exactly right. I, I really like what you said about having a mentor, you know, being able to show you that, but this guy's got a leg up too, because he's got some transferable skills with his Brittany and his, his other bird dog, mm -hmm. you know, so yeah, as he's far got, as getting a handle on a dog, mm -hmm. that's not going to be a problem. Yep. Yep. And understanding how a dog works a field and works out away from Thanks. you yeah. and things like that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yep. I, but that that any anything else to add what do you guys think on this guy's post 
or this guy's no i think i would go with your advice just because yeah. of his his situation mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i agree i agree all right i got another question about breaking dogs from treeing possums and um just kind of lay it out it was a, it's an older dog it's a two-year-old dog he bought the dog and he's a pretty good coon dog he puts a lot you know he shows him a lot of coons but he also will show him a few possums here and there and competition dog uh just a coon dog right now okay you know so but th- you bring up an interesting point of competition if he's going to hunt this dog in competition he's got to get get it broke off of possums for sure yeah because there's people who will tolerate it who that are pleasure hunting dogs you know people and then there's people who that is the end of the world if right. your dog treats possum right right and if you're hunting night champion or competition you're either going to take minus points or you're going to be uh scratched or disqualified right when your dog dog trees at possum so um possum breaking and uh, this is one of those things that Houndsmen don't do themselves any favors on social media talking about this. Um, Agreed. Um, and I think there's a lot of information out there that, that gets dished out. But I want to break it down to something that kind of hopefully makes sense to some people about possum breaking. For one thing, when you start with a puppy, it's not hard to teach a puppy that that's not what you're looking for you know uh, you can set that scenario up and you can you can set it up where they they ex- have exposure to a possum and then they have exposure to a coon and you make it a more desirable thing to um, pay attention to the coon or be, be have that prey drive towards the coon and avoid the possum and uh, when you're so this this is the advice I gave the guy. I told him he needs to to if he's if he's dedicated to breaking the dog from possums, then you need to stop. You need to take it out of the hunting scenario. You should not be free casting a dog and then hoping that it, that it trees a possum, uh, and then walking into a tree and then correcting the behavior there. There's a better way. And what I advised him was was having a possum getting getting a possum getting it getting a raccoon and setting the scenario up in about a 10 acre field and you let the the dog go in there and experience the possum you give it a controlled correction on a long check line and you give it a stimulation and then you walk it in the direction downwind of the raccoon and then you 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 continue to do that but take it out of the the hunting scenario altogether make it a controlled setting where you can control the outcome every time you've right, given it the a, dog still tree the dog still followed a track yeah you know if you want to if you want to break a dog from tree and a possum break them from track and the possum to begin with mm-hmm. you know make them not have that prey drive towards the possum so and and anytime we're we're hunting or training a dog or correcting a problem, I think it's important to remember that you always take a step back. You don't try to fix the problem in the moment. You take this, you take a, a step backwards in a controlled situation to correct the problem. And then you move forward. Will that work for skunks? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Your dogs may have broke themselves off of skunks. 
That's what I was thinking. Yeah. I was literally I've had that. several several dogs that, that broke themselves off of skunks, but then I've had other dogs in the past that are, can't get and, enough. Yeah. It's like, hey, I like it. It's good stuff. But <laughs> you know people I'm people, not trapping a skunk. So. I wouldn't either. I wouldn't either. You need a <laughs> solid box trap to do that. But uh uh you know, possum breaking is is not scientific. You just want to make sure that that they are deterred from having the drive towards the possum and encouraged to have the drive towards the raccoon. So you set it up so that every training session ends with a positive deal. You found the raccoon. That's a good thing. And then, but take them out of it and do that every three to five days until the, you take the dog into a controlled setting. And when, when they go towards the possum, then they completely avoid it and keep on hunting, looking for that rac- raccoon that you've you've also planted out there for them to tree. Good advice. I I don't have much uh, experience with that. When Piper was about ten months old, she found a possum in a woodpile, and that was the only possum I've ever experienced. Same thing, same age with the pups. Mm-hmm. They found one in a woodpile, and then that was that. Yeah. Nothing since. These murderous plots I've got, they'll maul every possum in the woods. They'll run <laughs> they'll run nutria in the marsh. They got bit on the yeah, they had nutria bites on them. Uh, so I mean the trashiest dogs in North America are living right out there in my kennel. Every place I go, I've got a re- I've got something new to break them off of. Yeah, right. Yeah. They've got to start keeping a list. Yeah. Yeah. When I if I if I'll just start making a a, a training list. Possum proof, armadillo proof, nutria proof, you know, deer proof. Yeah. <laughs> Elk proof, mule deer proof. There you go. Oh, yeah. I can't, they're not moose proof. I can tell you that. <laughs> yep. I, I got one right here, actually. Yep. Yep. I'm going to do the same. I'm not going to use this person's name because I didn't reach out to them, but this person lives in northern Texas and it says, Hey, Seth, I've been listening to the podcast and I figured I'd reach out. I'm new to all this dog stuff, and I have my own dog, just a mutt, of which I do a little casual hog hunting or get them to chase raccoons. But I'm very interested in coursing dogs since I have a lot of open country where I live in northern Texas. Mm -hmm. My question is this. I'd like to get a coursing dog that could run both coyotes and rabbits, jackrabbits in parentheses. Can that be done? Can you find a sighthound that can do both effectively? Thanks for everything. I love the show, and I look forward to more. So, uh... Do you guys want to take a crack at that? <laughs> well, I'm going to say that if you get a dog like Calypso, you'll be fine. <laughs> so, um, who is who is our recent guest you had on, Seth? Chris Mason? Yeah. She yeah, talked so that, a little bit about this. Yeah. So, um, uh, my good friend David Heiss and Chris Mason, they live in Roswell. And uh, David is a hardcore houndsman. He's run everything in New Mexico, raccoons, bears, blah, blah. He's I had him in one of our shows. He's probably run Bigfoot, too. Probably. Um, (laughs) He caught Justin. I think that was catching Bigfoot. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, um, no, so their goal is to kind of do a versatile sighthound that can do both. Mm -hmm. But if you want my honest opinion from the experience I have, I think if you want to maximize your success on both, um, you really should probably specialize in one or the other because the difference between a coyote dog and a rabbit-bred coursing dog, there's a big difference. And don't get me wrong. There are some coyote dogs that can catch a jackrabbit, but they're not going to catch as many as a hair coursing dog is going right. to. And obviously a hair coursing dog can catch a coyote easily, mm-hmm. but handling the coyote once it's caught, 
a, a rabbit dog is is so much lighter and built for speed and agility. And so talk about how those coyote dogs are built. Yeah. So and and a coyote dog, um, she got to see one. Um, Justin uh, brought a, a female coyote dog that had a lot of running power and and uh, just was a little light on the takedown. And so Justin decided to see how she'd do on rabbits. But a coyote dog is just, I mean, I try to explain it to the listeners how, like, cause I'll get, you know, guests that'll be like, you know, my, my, my coon hound's real tough on a coon and I bet they can, you know, hold up on a coyote dog, you know, like how they're built. And I'm like, a coyote dog is like, imagine a werewolf mixed with like a alien chupacabra. Like they, they're huge. They're probably 30 inches at the shoulder. Snooty's a female. She weighs 94 pounds. Thicker skin. Way thicker skin. Heavier way bone. bigger heads. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Bigger uh-huh. bones, bigger head. I mean, they're still a sight hound, right? They still have the deep chest and narrow waist, but big, tough body, yeah. big, powerful jaws, much thicker skin, huge, broad, powerful shoulders. They're not as fast and they're not as agile, but they are absolute predators. Like, how, that's the best way to describe it. How much does Prano win? weigh? Pronto weighs 71 pounds. Okay. And he, yeah. And so uh, a big male coyote dog is going to be about 115. Okay. So they are massive and super powerful. So if you want to maximize your success on coyotes and you want to catch coyotes and hares, I would say either get a lightweight, a lightweight coyote dog who's a little bit too light to be a serious hardcore takedown dog, and you could run both, or get a nice pack of big rabbit dogs. And you're going to need a few to, to really be successful on the coyote because if those rabbit dogs are getting slashed up, they're just going to not want to engage the coyote. They're just going to have fun and catch the coyote and then not do anything. You right. know what I mean? So right. you, you need to, you'll need to, so my advice you, would be, I think you're, you need multiple dogs regardless. Yeah, of course. Of course. And you always do, but like you should try to pick one you want to focus on. If you have more hairs in the area, focus on hairs and you can send your dogs to a coyote and you need to be there to give them some help. Or if you have more coyotes or you have shorter distances to run, because I think that's what surprised you the most is how much distance you need to catch a hare. Mm-hmm. If you have short distances and you think you have more chances on a coyote, focus on coyote dogs and, and enjoy coyote coursing instead. That would yeah. be my answer. And and that transfers over to scent hounds as well. You know, when I was – perfect example is when I hunted mountain curs. I had dogs that – would tree squirrels or tree raccoons. But the guys that were extremely serious about squirrel hunting with their mountain curs did did not allow them to tree raccoons. You know, they wanted them to focus on one thing. You know, jack of all trades, master of none. If you're looking for a master, then you need to focus on what you're hunting. And, uh, you know, I've even heard lion hunters talk about not running bobcats. You know, even though it's a cat, they or a bobcat hunter not hunting lions and not using lion dogs for bear and then here i am running around the country you know chasing (laughs) hogs chasing bobcats chasing lions nutrias (laughs) molesting armadillos you know i'm molesting fur and fauna in every state i go to so uh you know it's it's just uh but I'm past that. If I, w- if I was seriously campaigning a coon hound, then I would zone in and zero in on that. But I think it's possible you're just not going to be super effective at all. I'm a super, you're not going to have a, you're going to have a rock star in some areas, and then you're going to have to learn to tolerate uh, deficiencies in other areas, I guess yeah. is the best way. 
Best point. Exactly. Yep. You will run jackrabbits with those coyote dogs, and they'll catch a few occasionally, but they're not going to be like Pronto and Calypso. They're not going to be just slaying. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's good stuff. And um, I like getting interaction from yeah. our audience. I really yeah. do. And uh, we're going to – I mentioned it in the show a couple weeks ago, by the time this will come out, you know, that pre-roll is going to be the time – where we focus on some of that uh, listener correspondence, put it right up front and address some of that in the pre-roll. So I think it's going to be, uh, we're going to get away from, from we're going to change the format a little bit in the podcast. We're going to mix it up. Keep, a, keep, keep them on their toes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And so this is what I would tell anybody that's corresponding with us. You know, Facebook Messenger is, is great if you want to go to our, our uh, Facebook page and send us a message. We'll glean it from there. And then our email is on our website at houndsmanxp.com. And, and interact with us. Tell us what you, you know, but let us know whether or not we can use your name on the air. Right up yeah. front. Right up mm-hmm. front. Say, hey, y'all, feel free to use this on the show. Loved it. Love to hear it. Yeah, I, I love I love uh, interacting, especially with new fans that want to learn. I, I love to I love to learn, but I also love to help when I can. I learn Thanks. when people interact. Yeah, you know, yeah, because it forces me to think about stuff and, and right. Like, yeah, oh, I've yeah. never thought about it that way before. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. Or what would I do here? And then it forces me to to analyze different situations, and yeah, it's good stuff always. You know. uh, it wasn't just me going out with you. I brought you out with me. Yeah, yeah. We we went. Uh, we did two styles of hunting. We want to get 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 into that. I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to spoil that for when we do like the Lauren road trip. You know, when we're oh, focusing okay. on Lauren's new experiences. <laughs> oh, okay. I get it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. When we do all the right. podcast about all your new experiences, Every, everything, yeah. Lauren. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Social go. media breakdowns and everything. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Hey, by the time this podcast comes out, I think it's gonna it'll be out on the twenty second, and then the weekend following, Lauren and I are going to be at the Wisconsin Bear Hunters Association, their convention. Hopefully, if I can get back in this darn weather, <laughs> you'll be you'll be back. You'll be back. Yeah. No, I'll make it no matter what. I'll so, I'll, I'll push through three feet of snow to get there. <laughs> For for our fans out there, Lauren and I will be there. We'll be um, for both days of the convention. We've got some uh, podcasts that we're going to record, and uh, but I've got a pretty cool cool idea that I'm going to discuss that I haven't told you about, Lauren. Uh, told you about it yet, Lauren? But I think it'll be fun. I think we'll okay. have a good time. I just need to know if I need to pick you up at the airport or anything. I don't know. I <laughs> I may rent a car and just drive up. So I'm not road warrior in the Tacoma all the way there. Yeah, it just... still might smell like smell like skunk by then too. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah does anybody if, if anybody has any like skunk remedies for like it's just it's very faint. The the dogs still kind of smell. We did the hydrogen peroxide dawn baking sort of thing, and then I did like nature's miracle treatment. I think I just gotta bathe them like every day. Yeah, it'll just go away on its own yeah. too. I mean, it just takes a long time. It, it just stinks, literally stinks. <laughs> it's an that, o- it's an oil that just seeped into you know until they yeah. shed those shed those cells and those hair follicles and different things. Yeah. You're gonna get it you're just, gonna have it. 
yeah, it just stinks that I'm like traveling with them right now. <laughs> I can't put them in their outdoor kennels and they can't sleep outside at night. There's no dog house or straw or anything, you know? So it's like, okay, I can put two in the dog box and then two have to be inside with me. Cause I've got four dogs. Now I picked up a puppy on my way. Um, <laughs> I know. Chris is shaking his head. It's, right it only now. gets down to like fifty at night here. Like it'd be fine. I mean, for I could... two nights it was fifty degrees. Yeah. There. Yeah. If you spread some straw out on the ground and stake them out, they'll lay on It'll the straw. It'll blow away. Fine. It would blow away. Mm. That's yeah. true. It would blow away. It was like thirty mile an hour sustained all night last night. But yeah. 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 They they um they smell so much better than they did though. Yeah. Like I couldn't even come. I'll near guarantee Piper. you. As soon as I walked through the door of that camper, I'd be like, holy crap. So, uh, guarantee it no it would just be because of lauren not because of the scum <laughs> yeah how many days in a row we'll save that let's save that part let's save that part for a future okay. podcast it wasn't terrible we'll no. just leave it at that no. <laughs> sure sure yeah that's what you think <laughs> i'm saying the amount of days wasn't terrible i'm saying i'm not saying this smell wasn't terrible <laughs> <laughs> you guys got I, closing I'm ready thoughts. to get home uh yep. i was trying to leave like tonight or tomorrow morning but i'm just i gotta figure out with this storm what i'm gonna do so is that yep. your closing thoughts that yes exactly <laughs> my my closing thought is and and i'm gonna say it on the air because it's probably the last time it has been a pleasure honestly it's been a blast and I am like super uh, grateful that we got to hang out, yeah. and um, glad we're great friends. That turned yeah, out awesome. Turned I wasn't out to be sure. Really good friends. Yeah, and uh, and to all the coon hunters out there, I get why you love it. It's a blast. It's cool. The dogs are awesome. I had a great time exploring a new world, and uh, I can't wait to go experience it for real, yeah. like in the northern hardwoods. That's going to be super sweet. So stay tuned for a Seth on the road episode. But until then. It's been awesome. I'm super glad, and uh, hopefully you don't have to plow through snow. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> it's been uh, great to share it with you, for sure. That's been awesome. So you follow your hounds out here in New Mexico, and I'll go follow mine. Yeah, indeed. What about you, Chris, brother? Well, Lauren just summed up the podcast. She just closed <laughs> it out. Yep. I'm, you can I'm, just cut I'm, it off there. I'm, su- <laughs> I'm, super, I'm super happy that you guys got to spend the time together and and you get uh, to meet like we'd never yeah. met before yeah yeah, yeah. And, but it felt like we had which is what was yeah. so weird you know mm-hmm. what i mean but yeah yep anyway all right lauren do it again okay well seth thank you so much for hosting me it's been so fun i'm so happy i got to share it with you you follow your hounds here in new mexico i'll go follow mine there it is there it is <laughs>